Second chapter of the book of Samuel begins with Hannah's prayer after she gives birth. We know that in chapter 1, she accompanies her husband and the family to Shiloh, to the central place of worship. Her husband bows down and sacrifices, but Hannah does not bow down and sacrifice. Instead, she prays. And the prayer of Hannah, which is born out of a sense of deep sadness, one might say bitterness, the text called the Marat Nefesh. She's bitter of spirit. She wants a child. And her husband says to her in the first chapter, why do you cry? Why don't you eat? Am I not better than ten children? He tries to console her. But in point of fact, Hannah is not consoled. What the husband has said in effect is give up on your dreams, give up on what you want. And in the book of Shmuel, it would appear, at least to me, that what Hannah wants is not so much a child for herself. Because Hannah, in the first chapter, as we recall, takes a vow, a neder. And the vow is, she turns to God and says, Fatidor neder vatomar, in verse number 11 of chapter 1, she took a vow and she said, Hashem tzvaot, imraot tireh bo'ani amotecha, uzechaitani v'lotishkachet amotecha, v'natato lamotcha zera anoshim, unetativ l'ashem ko yimei chayav, umoro lo yareh arosho. Her request, which is one verse long, even though the text says she prayed a long time, but it ex- explicitly in one verse says what she is saying. It's a, it's a vow. If you do X, I will do Y, which is the typical vow of the Bible. It's conditional. Vows in the Bible are conditional statements. And what is the condition? If you see your handmaiden, if you, don't re- if you remember me, if you don't forget me, if you give me a child, I will give the child to, to you, to God, all the days of his life, and no razor will touch his head. He won't cut his hair. So what she's saying is, if you give me the child, I'll give up the child. I'll dedicate the child to you in your, to be in your service. Umorolo Yarel Rosho sounds like a Nazarite. The Nazarite doesn't cut his hair. And uh, so the purpose of it is not so much she's going to have a child. The purpose appears to be, I want someone who will serve God. Now she's standing in Shiloh. She's standing in a place of deep corruption. The high priest, Eli the priest, when he first sees her, thinks she's drunk. Because when she's speaking, you can't hear her words. She, she is, her intention is very deep, but she's very angry, and she's very unhappy, and she's very bitter. Her lips are moving, but no sound can be heard. So Eli thinks she's a drunkard and says to her, leave. You're violating the sacred space. No, she says to Ailey, I'm not drunk. Not at all. I'm very unhappy. I pour out my soul to God. So it's not what I take in, it's what I pour out. And Ailey the priest, to his credit, understands this and gives her a blessing. God should grant your request, says Ailey the priest. Now, Hannah's Prayer 
if you give me somebody, I will dedicate this someone to you. What is Hannah thinking? The text doesn't tell us explicitly what she's thinking. But if we look at chapter 2, we see what Hannah says after she has this child. After the child is born, she dedicates the child to God. That is to say, she dedicates the child to Shiloh. She sends the child to this temple to serve under the tutelage of Eli, the high priest. Eli, the high priest, is a holy man. He's a saintly man. He's not a perceptive man. His sons run amok. He doesn't adequately scold them. But he is very concerned about God and the honor of God. And Shmuel becomes, one might say, his true son, his disciple, his protege. And after this child is born, and Hannah dedicates her son to Shiloh. She dedicates her son to Shiloh after she fully nurses the child. Her husband, Elkanah, he's the fellow that works by the calendar, he says to her, you made a promise. You better send the boy to Shiloh right away. No, she doesn't want to do that. She wants to first train the boy. The nursing is not only about biological feeding. The nursing has to do with the inculcation of values. We have this, for example, in the Torah in terms of Moshe. Moshe was brought back to his natural mother, and she nurses him. Only after he's fully nursed is Moshe sent back to Pharaoh's daughter. So the nursing carries with it a sense of values, a sense of instruction. So Hannah wants to fully instruct this child before the child is handed off to Shiloh to work under the tutelage to be a pupil of Ewe the priest. So we expect in chapter 2 now, after Khan has given this boy to, to, uh, to the priest, which is given the boy to serve God, we expect a poem all about the woman who was responded to by God, the childless woman who has now uh, a child, and of course, this theme of the childless woman who has a child is one we encountered in the book of Breshit. And we also encountered it in the previous book, in the birth of Shimshon. So we expect this ten-verse uh, poem of Hannah, of gratitude, to be all about having children. But in fact, outside of one passing reference, her poem has nothing to do with having children. Nothing at all. The poem of Hannah, the as it's called the prayer of Hannah. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, but it's also a prayer. My heart exults in God. I have triumphed through God. I groan over my enemies. I rejoice in your deliverance. And the rest of the poem is about God and God's values. The poem is about the God who uh, does not accept those who are prideful. Talk no more with lofty pride. Let no arrogance cross your lips. God is an all-knowing God. By God, actions are measured. The bows of the mighty are broken, and the faltering are girded with strength. The sated ones have to hire out for bread. The hungry ones bear hunger no more. The barren woman bears seven. The mother of many is forlorn. God deals death and gives life. 
casts down into Shaul and raises up. God makes poor and God makes rich. God casts down, God lifts high. God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the dunghill, setting them with nobles, granting them honor. The pillars of earth are God's. God has set the world upon them. God guards the steps of the faithful. The wicked perish in darkness. For not by strength shall the human being prevail. The foes of God will be shattered. God will thunder against them in heaven. God will judge the ends of the earth. And the last verse, Give power to God's king. And triumph to God's anointed one. So the poem ends with a call for kingship, which doesn't yet exist. She's calling for kingship to do what? To implement the values of God. What are the values of God? To care for those that are dependent. To care for those that are weak, that are poor. To raise them up. To fight with and put down those who take by force. The arrogant ones, the prideful ones, the powerful ones, etc. In other words, what Hannah is suggesting is that, and praying for, I want, I pray for a king. The word king is found here. I pray for a king who represents God in this world, who will carry out the values of God. Shiloh is a place, we are told, in the continuation of Shemuel, where the rulers of Shiloh, that is the sons of Eli, Chafri and Pinchas, take things by force. And what Khan is saying is, I stand in Shiloh, and this cannot possibly be what God wants. We are reminded, actually, of God's speech to Moshe in the beginning of the book of Exodus, where, where God says, after God tells Moshe, don't get too close, story of the burning bush, and God said to Moshe, I've certainly seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. What did Chana say in chapter 1? She turns to God and says, God, look at my situation, my suffering, the suffering of your handmaiden. What is she praying for? Give me the opportunity to change the world. Okay, I'm a woman and a childless one, no less. I want to change the world. Give me the opportunity to change this world. Give me a child who will change. I will train that child. Give me the opportunity to change the world. She's asking, in effect, for another Moses. Moses took us out of Egypt. At the end of the book of Exodus, they build a Mishkan. They build the tabernacle. I stand in your tabernacle. It is hopelessly corrupt. So we need a new Moses and a new tabernacle. That's the beginning of the book of Samuel. And it is very interesting. We'll discuss it at some length. That the last chapter of Shemuel, in our tradition, chapter 24 of 2 Samuel, is about King David discovering the place of the temple. The book ends with the discovery of the place of the temple. What Hannah is calling for is a king who can, and in Hannah's thinking, who was able to reflect the true values of God. That's the beginning of this book. So the book's about kingship. 
and Hannah wants somebody, not that her child will be a king, because she describes her child as a Nazarite. The Nazarite and the king are actually opposites. The king's all about continuity, dynasty. The Nazarite is quite the opposite. The Nazarite doesn't know from the past and doesn't know from the future. The Nazarite carries out God's plan in the present. But what Hannah is praying for and how the book begins is the call for kingship. Hannah believes that it's possible for the king to reflect God's values. Her son, who will be the anointer of kings, happens to believe that that's not the case. That the king is not able to reflect God's values because the king will actually, because of the nature of kingship, will enter into abuse. Will forget that God is the one who should be calling the shots and also will be very interested in building up his uh, and preserving his own position of power. That's Samuel's opinion. But the book doesn't begin with Samuel. It begins with the birth of Samuel. It begins with the hero Hannah. And Hannah believes in chapter 2, Hashem Yodinaf Se'aretz, God will be the judge of the, far, the ends of the earth. But Yitain Oz Lumalkol, Fiorem Keren Mishicho, God will raise up, God will get, raise up the anointed one, and God will give power to God's king.